Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, editor-at-large at The Block. And today we have a very special episode of the show for you today. My guest on the other side of the mic is Congressman Tom Emmer, who represents Minnesota's 6th Congressional District in the U.S. House of Representatives and is also a sitting member of the House Financial Services Committee. Today, we'll be discussing the state of crypto regulation and policy in the United States, what lawmakers are doing to put safeguards in place for market participants, especially in the wake of the FTX debacle, for lack of a better word, as well as Representative Emmer's perspective on the adoption of digital assets and why it's important for the economy and much more. But before we dive in, I want to take a moment to thank our sponsors. Have you ever wanted to use DeFi without being seen? Railgun is a leading DeFi privacy solution on Ethereum. It's also a leading privacy solution operating across Binance Smart Chain, Arbitrum, and Polygon 2. And yes, that includes DEX trading. DeFi and privacy together at last. Visit railgun.org to find out more. This episode is also brought to you by Flare, an EVM-based layer one blockchain with secure, decentralized access to information from other chains and the internet. Flare's native interoperability protocols provide developers with a variety of high integrity price and event data, including detailed transaction proofs from other chains and information from Web2 APIs. Build better and connect everything at flare.network. All opinions expressed by hosts and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and not necessarily those of the blocks. Podcast guests may have taken positions in the assets or other matters discussed in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. For full terms, visit theblock.co slash terms dash service. Once again, I would like to thank our guest, Congressman Tom Emmer, for joining us. Congressman, thank you for coming on the show. We've been very excited about this episode and appreciate you taking the time. It's great to see you. I love the juxtaposition between our two backdrops. They couldn't be any more different. <laughs> You've got a regal setup almost. Well, I'm standing in the uh, majority whip's office in the U.S. Capitol uh, as we talked this morning. And Frank, it's great to be with you. I love, uh, love what you do on The Scoop and appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk with you. I really appreciate that you've listened to the show, especially the infamous Sam episode, which feels like almost two decades ago as opposed to two months ago. Before we get into some of the more thorny or granular um, you know, policy underpinnings of crypto, maybe you can walk our listeners through your story and how you first heard about crypto and and how your journey was shaped and got to the point where you became almost an advocate for it in the Congress. I hope I'm not just almost. I am absolutely an advocate uh, for uh, digital assets, for crypto in general, what it's doing literally uh, in terms of facilitating the evolution of uh, the internet, the web, uh, into its next iteration. But uh, for me, Frank, it started uh, about eight years ago when I got here, had a uh, young staffer, who gave me a book, uh, which I don't know how many members of Congress actually read everything they're given, but I typically do. And the book was called The Age of Cryptocurrency. It was interesting. I read it, gave it back to him and said, I need more. 
And mm-hmm. I actually, I probably joked a little bit too and said, look, I'm a member of Congress. I need more pictures, right? But uh, <laughs> the uh, the book actually started me off on this road of, uh, it's an area that with each passing year, I believe it's a bigger part of our future story in this country. And when I say the evolution of the web, crypto to me, it's not just about crypto, Frank. We can talk about that all day, right? That's the financial aspect. It's uh, the technology that supports it. It's the fact that crypto, I believe, is accelerating the development of the technology that supports it and developing new opportunities on how we use it. Uh, Why is that important? Just to really uh, boil it down, I believe I'm one of those people that thinks uh, the individual makes better decisions than the government, right? And I want to empower the individual to be in control over his or her own decision-making as much as possible. Throughout history, whenever we have transactions as human beings, we typically have an intermediary that's involved. The beauty of where we're headed with the internet, and crypto is facilitating this, is there's a future, uh, and frankly, it's arrived already uh, in many respects, where intermediaries are not necessary. You don't have to have someone in the middle of your transaction every time. It doesn't mean that we're going to get rid of intermediaries. I don't see a world that way. You may disagree, Frank. I think we'll always have uh, a choice, but that's the key. We should have a choice. I shouldn't have to have the uh, the strong arm of government sticking its way, pushing its way in between a transaction between myself and another person or entity. So. That's what I look at. I think it's a a great restoration of individual liberty and opportunity. And frankly, it's going to drive our economy as well in the coming years. So I've become more and more a believer in this latest bit. You know, you bring up the episode that you did, the interview, which was masterful, as I was telling you beforehand. I learned a lot listening to your uh, interview of Sam. uh, Well, I think the last name is fraud. It's not. <laughs> but it, it uh, he really did expose himself. And it's interesting because the whole crypto community is reflected on by what wasn't even the beauty of the crypto community. It's decentralization is the key, right? Uh, and when we're talking about uh, what Sam did, it was just the opposite. It was centralized finance. It's a, it's the same, only it involved digital assets as opposed to uh, physical assets. But at the end of the day, it's the uh, same problem that has existed since the beginning of finance. You had a, a small group controlling it and uh, allegedly misrepresenting what they were doing in order to attract funding, which then they were allegedly misdirecting. And it ended very, very badly. But that's centralized finance. That's something that government needs to look at and needs to oversee. Uh, The decentralized finance that's open, transparent, permissionless. Well, Frank, I think uh, that's where we're headed. And I I think that is the the bright spot. Uh, That is the future. This is a distinction that you've made quite a number of times. The fact that what existed at FTX was an issue of opaqueness, of centralized finance, of sort of the fact that there wasn't sort of transparency into what they were doing. I have to apologize for using the word almost because, (laughs) I mean, you actually have tweeted GM, which I think puts you into a category of 
crypto enthusiast that is almost at the top level, if you will. And of course, I saw recently in Coindesk, you were referred to as the crypto king of Congress. So what is the crypto king of Congress doing to sort of, one, educate colleagues on the distinction between what happened at FTX and the actual promise of crypto and maybe advocate for proper regulations that bring it under, you know, maybe certain controls that remedy fraud and some of these issues that we've seen versus completely squash any sort of innovation. Let's first, you know, be very blunt about certain senator over on the other side of the building uh, from Massachusetts who uh, is trying to take every opportunity she can to squash this uh, industry, if you will. You know, misinformation, misdirection on crypto. Elizabeth Warren, I believe, if she were actually a champion for the little guy and gal, Frank, she would be championing digital assets and crypto and the opportunity for people to self-determine. But she's not doing that. So people who are listening need to ask themselves why. Is it possible that she is more powerful under the old dynamic with the two-tier banking system on the existing rails that you always have to have an intermediary and that the government can actually surveil what you're doing? Is she more powerful by protecting that at the expense of this great new frontier when we talk about digital assets and going to a uh, ownership economy, uh, which is the next stage of the web. That's one. You have to out it. Two, we've got regulators that are not doing their job. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you've got Gary Gensler at the SEC who, you know, he wants to, uh, well, who knows what he wants to do. I'm, I'm not impressed. In fact, uh, as you probably I think know, he wants to be Treasury Secretary. That's what everybody says. But uh, in the meantime, he's uh, doing backroom deals with people like Sam at FTX and literally uh, not doing his job of oversight and enforcement where he's supposed to be doing it. You mentioned that there's inconsistencies in Gensler's approach to regulation. You tweeted that a couple of weeks ago. What exactly did you mean there? Uh, (laughs) He seems to be going after everyone who's a good actor in the space, and he doesn't go after the ones that all of a sudden blow up. All of a sudden, uh, you know, FTX goes down and leaves people, uh, investors all over the place, holding the bag. When this guy was meeting with FTX uh, starting uh, last March and allegedly was meeting with FTX about giving them special treatment to be a uh, exchange here in the United States, it kind of blows you away that his approach seems to be attack those that are on the edge of uh, this innovation and opportunity, while at the same time allowing, who knows why, because he has a pre-existing relationship uh, with the uh, people at FTX or some type of sweetheart deal. Maybe it was the uh, millions and millions of dollars that were uh, going to the campaign side on the Dem side which they did start doing it on the Republican side too, but not nearly the level they were doing it on the uh, Democrat side. Who knows? I think ultimately it hit one in every three members of Congress had some form of SAM funding. Yeah, but I mean, it's kind of like when you say some kind, the maximum that an individual can give to a member of Congress is $5,800. 
for mm -hmm. a two-year cycle, all right? I'm talking about because maybe they support a ton of members. And I've, mm -hmm. I would, I've told people in the crypto community, that's not a bad idea. That's not a bad idea to support, you know, with a thousand bucks, with uh, 2,500 bucks, with whatever you have to do that, to support and build a relationship with this person. They don't vote for the things that you want because you support them financially. But believe me, they, they know who you are. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't hurt when you come in and sit down and say, well, you listen to what I'm talking about. I typically do that with anybody. But, you know, at the end of the day, because you're writing thank you notes to people who are supporting you financially. Right. Yeah. The name I, sticks. Right. But when they're giving, you know, <laughs> hundreds of millions on one side versus fifty eight hundred bucks here or there, you're right with you pointing it out, you know, one in three. But you got to look at where the vast, you know, the the big uh, the mother load, you got to look where the mother load is. Right. And I think, uh, you know, when you look at it. I'll say what somebody said to me recently. They said, yeah, you know, I'll look at the 5,800 bucks that I got uh, mm -hmm. when uh, my colleagues on the other side of the aisle start to uh, examine the billion dollars that their different entities uh, received. It does smell, though, Frank. I don't care if it's 5,800 or it's a billion. It just uh, something smells when you see the regulator was not doing his job. He looks as though he was treating different people differently under the same set of circumstances. And frankly, because he didn't do his job, exactly what he's supposed to protect us from happened. People got uh, seriously hurt. I think we do need to do uh, regulation, uh, tweak regulation when we're talking about centralized finance. I think there are some definitions that would be very helpful. You know, I've got bills out there like the Blockchain Regulatory Certainty Act, mm -hmm. the Securities Clarity Act, the Safe Harbor for Taxpayers with Forked Assets, central bank digital currency bill, which I think is one of the more important ones. These are things that we should be doing. That last one, Frank, when I said I, I think it's the most important one, that is the bill that I filed more than, eight, well, it's in the last Congress, and it's going to be refiled in this one, uh, that simply says the federal government should never, never be in the business of issuing a central bank digital currency. That is nothing more than a surveillance tool. There's no reason for us to try and keep up with the Communist Party of China, and the Fed should never be monopolized into a retail bank. We've got to let people do what people are going to do without having our government try to hold all that to itself. Uh, and then the other ones are just providing definitions, which will help people in the crypto community who want to make investments, who want to create things here in this country so they know what the rules are and they're not going to get, you know, whipsawed after the fact by some federal regulator that says, oh, by the way, you're under my jurisdiction and I've just determined retroactively that what you did is going to cost you X. Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned Senator Warren, who, I mean, I remember covering her in her crusade against Wells Fargo. And it was actually quite admirable that the tenacity with which she raised these questions about their business practices back during the, if you remember, the uh, eight is great days where they try to get customers to sign up for erroneous accounts. And it was passionate, her railing against this giant corporation for bad practices. But it's wild to me to see her attack crypto, which in many cases offers an alternative, which is to be your own bank, which is almost antithetical to 
what Wells Fargo is. So it's so strange to me that there's a gap there, or I'm just surprised almost that she's not a more powerful advocate for crypto, given the sort of, it's antithetical to what sort of her original boogeyman was. But I want to get a sense of the broader Congress. Obviously, I think she'll always, well, we'll see, maybe one day she'll come around to crypto. That would be an interesting day. But we're looking at the Congress overall. Has the sentiment shifted more favorably or negatively in the in the aftermath of FTX's collapse, right? Like I said, he touched almost a third of the Congress. He was there all the time. Has this, you know, made people bitter about crypto or are people rethinking it, thinking regulation is more important? What's the attitude? I think he's done some damage. There's no question. We made some huge advances, especially over the last couple of years. You know, with the uh, infrastructure bill from August of uh, 2021, Frank, that came out of the Senate with a, uh, I think, a misguided tax provision, but it was a tax provision directed at crypto that was going to pay for the infrastructure bill, allegedly. You know, the CBO gave a score that uh, this certain language that Rob Portman from Ohio was going to include in the bill would generate, I think they said, $30 million or something in uh, revenues to the government from the crypto community. It was poorly drafted, didn't Mm -hmm. make it at all, but that isn't the point. The point is that just uh, jacked up the visibility of crypto in general. Right. Uh, Obviously, people in Washington had taken notice of the industry, Mm. which they wanted to uh, start to take some of the revenue. Talk about the middleman. But what that did was it raised awareness in the Senate overnight. Right. You had uh, senators who previously had been very quiet on the topic became experts uh, very Mm. quickly. And and your point about uh, Elizabeth Warren quickly is very well taken. I think her mindset has always been about the bad things that can happen in finance. You know, the abuses, uh, which is unfortunate because it's more balanced. She should also be looking at the good things. But I understand that in her previous career, that's not where her focus was. So that tended to uh, direct her towards helping Main Street mom, Main Street dad, who, uh, you know, is going to get taken advantage of by the system. And she fought for them why you wouldn't be fighting for crypto or digital assets because that also is for Main Street mom and Main Street dad and it empowers them. Maybe someday she'll have an epiphany and understand that the two are the same thing. I I just think though there's more power in the way the system was currently set up for people in government and that's one of the reasons why uh, crypto took off from 2008 on because it empowers individuals as opposed to the government itself. So the awareness piece, the blockchain caucus that we have co-chaired the last couple of years, uh, the uh, infrastructure bill, it was really moving. And I think uh, what happened with FTX gave the negative microphones out there a little bit more uh, sound, you know, to start being critical. And we've been spending the last well, like you said, your interview was only uh, back in December, right? Yeah. It, it feels like it was six months ago, uh, but it was just back in uh, the beginning of December. I would say during that same period of time, Frank, we have literally been pushing back on this nonsense that FTX is indicative of crypto. It's not. It is as old as finance. It is centralized finance and the abuses that happen when you have an opaque 
uh, operation with a very small group of people that are literally running it on the inside uh, and are not being properly overseen or regulated. How does the Congress prevent this type of scheme from being executed again? I'm going to tell you, Frank, I think if uh, Gary Gensler would have been doing his job, I don't think this scheme would have been allowed to uh, continue. I mean, one of the problems is because we have not made clear what the rules of the game are here in this country, you push opportunities like this off our shores. Would it have been better to have FTX headquartered here in the United States? Yeah, it would have instead of the Bahamas. It would have been better to have Alameda here instead of in Hong Kong. I mean, that's part of the issue, but really it's making sure that our regulators understand what they're working with, because sometimes I wonder if they do. Yeah. But second, make sure that they're doing their job. Uh, Congress has an obligation, I think, in this 118th Congress, Frank, to further define the rules, right? We're talking about the existing uh, securities laws, et cetera, to make it more clear for people who want to invest and want to create, want to innovate. But then we also have to hold the regulators accountable and make sure that they are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Which is what precisely? Well, in the case of the SEC, they're supposed to be protecting the investors here in this country and making sure that they have an opportunity to invest in the best markets in the world. And instead of uh, riding roughshod over a developing industry, literally picking winners and losers and trying to regulate by, uh, you know, public statement and by enforcement action, that just doesn't work. Have you ever wanted to use DeFi without being seen? Railgun is a leading DeFi privacy solution on Ethereum. And it's also a leading privacy solution operating across Binance Smart Chain, Arbitrum, and Polygon too. Shield your funds and use them privately on your favorite DeFi apps. Railgun's cutting edge zero knowledge system encrypts your data from public view. And yes, that includes DEX trading. DeFi and privacy together at last. Visit railgun.org to find out more. This episode is also brought to you by Flare, an EVM-based layer one blockchain with secure access to information from other chains and the internet. Flare's state connector acquires detailed transaction data from blockchains and information from Web2 APIs in a decentralized way, so it can be used securely, scalably, and trustlessly in applications running on the network. Paired with the Flare Time Series Oracle for decentralized price and time series data, Flare delivers a developer focused blockchain with secure native access to more off-chain data than ever before. Build better and connect everything at flare.network. Finally, we want to thank leading VPN provider NordVPN. You know, my grandmother always used to say, show me a man's calendar and his checkbook and I'll tell you everything I need to know about him. That's why I believe it's vital to take control of my online financial activity with NordVPN to protect my privacy. You know, I don't want a browser or some protocol or decentralized app being able to tell where I live and track my financial transactions. We've spoken with the team and your crypto security is their top priority. You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal now by going to nordvpn.com slash the scoop to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, plus four additional months for free. 
It's easy to set up and Nord even gives you a 30-day money-back guarantee. Check out the link in the description for more details. Do you think that crypto exchanges and brokers should be regulated similarly to equities exchanges and brokerage firms? Maybe there's a a system that looks similar. I think, or I feel like Gensler would be keen to have a, a Coinbase, for instance, register as a national securities exchange and then just fit within the same structure. That's one potential outcome. Or maybe there's an alternative that's purpose-built for crypto. But I think the one problem that we've always talked about for years is what are these assets? The more striking problem is how do the entities that trade these assets, regardless of the taxonomy, how are they overseen? And how do we ensure that they're not taking too much risk or the collateral that they're taking is robust? It's less about the assets than it is how are these businesses regulated themselves, the firms. And so I wonder what your thoughts are on how they should be overseen and what might be reconfigured there. I'm not a big fan of the Howey test. Let's unpack that because there's a bunch of different things, Frank. I I would start with the uh, first one to me is the organizational, the oversight. We already have the laws in place. The question is, what is the asset, right? Mm. What is the asset that we're talking about? That will tell us what laws apply. Now, the, the interesting thing about digital assets is they can be one category in the beginning mm. and they can evolve into a different category. So that's a place where we have to perhaps look at and some of the bills I gave you, deal with this, right? Yeah. Uh, to try and adjust the existing laws so that digital assets fit them. And by the way, try to make it flexible enough that we can take into account what we look at as crypto uh, today isn't what it's going to look like three weeks from now, six months from now, two years from now. And you don't want to have to, uh, especially with the way Congress uh, works, you don't want to have to keep coming back and trying to, to fix this. That's one. Two, I am totally opposed, even though I I think a couple of my friends over in the Senate were proposing a new federal regulator. No, Mm. no. I I mean, be careful (laughs) what you wish for. Uh, We got enough problems with the ones we have. Let's try to make sure the ones we have operate. And that brings me to the SEC. And people have to understand that Gary Gensler's aimless strategy has literally led the SEC to miss nearly every bad actor in crypto. All right. Think about it. This guy, he gathers information on crypto companies. He did it even though it wasn't targeted. It wasn't it was haphazard and unfocused. And I guess uh, he missed Terra Luna. He missed Celsius and then he missed FTX while he's going after good actors in the space. So unpacking those three, one, you got to tweak existing laws so that digital assets have a home and you don't have to have full employment for lawyers every time they got to roll out the Howey test that pre-existed what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Let's make sure the laws fit what they're doing. Uh, And let's create more, uh, even though I hate it, regulatory sandbox. You know, it makes it sound so childish, but the idea is uh, it makes sense. Let's create safe harbors that allow people to create things. And then when we see how they work, 
whatever the regulation they need, we can do that prospectively rather than punishing them retroactively. It'll encourage more uh, and incentivize more innovation right here in this country. Let's uh, not create new regulators. Let's not create new layers of garbage that people have to sift through in order to do business here in this country. And let's just get the regulators that we have doing the job that they were entrusted to do on behalf of the citizens instead of their own uh, agenda. We keep going back to Mr. Gensler. Has he responded or the SEC to any congressional inquiries regarding SBF or FTX? I haven't seen anything uh, so far. It's really interesting that uh, Gary Gensler had more meetings with Sam Bankman. Uh, I keep getting stuck on fraud. I apologize. He had more meetings with Sam than anyone else. And it's interesting that apparently the SEC knew FTX was fraudulent from its inception. Mm. And he's apparently acknowledged that. And uh, you can go back through. We do have records that show he met with FTX. He met with IEX, which is a, is a firm that we're still not clear. Did uh, FTX buy IEX? Were they an investor? That was going to apparently be their uh, trading platform here in uh, in the U.S. And these meetings, there's at least a half a dozen of them that are documented. We did send to answer your question directly. There's a group of us, four Republicans, four Democrats, very nonpartisan. We sent a letter to uh, the uh, Mr. Gensler back uh, last mm-hmm. March, March 16th, uh, asking him a whole bunch of questions predating this event. Th- these were questions uh, in terms of how he was operating with these dragnets of information. Mm-hmm. He didn't answer one of the questions. I think now that there is a new majority in the House, Hopefully, uh, he understands that it's not just going to be Republicans who will demand transparency and accountability, but he does have uh, those same members on the Democrat side who want the same information. So hopefully we're going to have some more success now in the coming weeks and months. Just generally, what do you think is the most realistic policy outcome in this Congress? I really think if we're going to get stuff done in the uh, digital asset space, which I think Patrick McHenry is committed to doing uh, Mm -hmm. things on the House side. Remember, we don't control the Senate, so that'll be uh, a whole different animal. Uh, Getting stuff done in the House, I think you will see a series, and I don't want to get ahead of myself because I know there's a meeting taking place today, uh, and we have a financial services retreat where this will be uh, firmed up, but there will be a series of, uh, I think, clarifying bills on the laws that we're talking about. Uh, There'll be data privacy stuff that we'll work on related to this. There'll be uh, uh, clarifying language so you can categorize digital assets so you know who the regulator is, the jurisdiction that you're underneath, right? Uh, Trying to give people more clarity. I think those are realistic, Frank, but people out there should not expect uh, that there's going to be this explosion of new uh, legislation that's suddenly going to solve all these problems. I think this will be the Congress where you will start to see some things move in the House, which, if you think about it, where we've come from the last uh, three or four Congresses, that's going to be huge. Because I think once it starts to move, it's going to help us explain even more the difference between centralized finance and decentralized in the digital uh, assets realm, which maybe you and I can hope Elizabeth Warren one day will get up and go, hey, that DeFi actually is a good thing for uh, 
mom and pops all across this country. Well, yeah, she should listen to some of her counterparties or colleagues uh, like Congressman Richie Torres. I mean, it's interesting, right? Because to an extent, this is one of the few bipartisan issues in as much as you have skeptics on both sides, as well as advocates on both sides. Yeah, but I think the skeptics are, uh, they become few and they're becoming uh, farther in between. Mm -hmm. I think if you're a skeptic, it's because you haven't studied it. Maybe I'm understating it because skeptic is someone that should be wanting to do more due diligence, understand it better, uh, figure out how they can do their job better to protect the American investor, not just his or her opportunity or their uh, pocketbook, but protect their opportunities to invest in new and exciting things like crypto. Yeah. I think that it would sort of break down on the right. You would have the skeptics as folks who view Bitcoin as a challenge to the hegemony of the U.S. dollar or the sort of sovereign nature of it. On the left, a la Elizabeth Warren, it's more of the consumer protection concerns that exist. So they're very different concerns, but I would say that's how I would delineate I Actually, that, I'm not going to disagree. I would add that the uh, defense hawks on the Republican yeah. side would fit your, uh, your definition as well. So how do you convince them? You are um, the whip now, the House GOP whip, which is, you know, very, it's a high ranking position in the Republican Party to which you were elected in November. How do you keep Republicans in line when it comes to understanding the complexities of, of this space? It's part financial, it's part computer science, it's, I mean, it's part art in NFTs and, and games. How do you sort of keep it from being too dizzying? I'm never going to get to that level of making it dizzying. I, I, I will tell you, <laughs> that, uh, I think my colleagues were a little surprised. I mean, I've been doing this for, I, I told you, I started it almost eight years ago, and it's been seven years that I've been getting more and more outspoken about it. And I think a lot of my colleagues on the Republican side, on the committee, uh, who shall go unnamed, I mean, many of them have uh, forgotten more about banking than I'll ever know. Right. They've been mm -hmm. heavily involved. Uh, one served in the Bush administration's Treasury Department. So, I, I mean, mm -hmm. these people, I think, were prized, maybe too strong a word. But mm -hmm. They were intrigued by the fact that uh, somebody that looks like them, that comes from the same you know, time frame that they do, is very positive about this. And it caused them to start taking, I think, a harder look at it. You know, I go to that difference and I say to him, so you're afraid to lose the uh, status of the U.S. dollar. You got to yeah. understand that crypto actually will ensure the status of the U.S. dollar if we do this right. Uh, that's my challenge on our side. On the other side, you know, uh, you brought up Richie Torres earlier. Richie Torres and Tom Emmer could not be more different uh, where we come <laughs> from. Uh, you know, our lives from what I know. And yet we could not be more alike when it comes to this issue of crypto. So uh, you ask what I do first, uh, it's by example. Uh, you don't have the uh, the ability to tell someone how to think here in Congress. And I think the tools of whips from days past where they would uh, threaten, they would uh, strong arm, that doesn't exist. Uh, what you have to do is you have to get people to buy in and they buy in, uh, Frank, because it's best for the people that put them here. 
So the first thing I got to do is make sure that everybody in the community understands that uh, you need to be talking to your representatives, whether it's a Democrat or Republican, it doesn't matter. Educate them. Tell them why this is a good thing. Tell them why you're involved in it. Explain to them why they need to be looking out for your best interest, not killing your opportunities. And then you'll help me do my job when we've got uh, good legislation that comes out of the Financial Services Committee, then we can get it across the floor. That's the key. Yeah. What do you think about just the overall state of the economy right now? I mean, obviously, inflation seems a bit stubborn to an extent. It's not as gloomy as it was maybe a month or two ago, but there's still a bit of uncertainty that looms over the economy. What are you anticipating? What sort of top of mind for folks, you know, in the sort of financial house committee or financial services committee and Congress overall? I will tell you, first off, I wish we had a fourth establishment that actually did its job. I wish they were an oversight uh, operation. Don't care if they view it from the left or the right or other. I could care less. Just be uh, very aggressive in your investigative reporting and state facts. If they were, you know, you point out inflation is stubborn. How about we be honest about what inflation is? Our government many years ago decided they were going to start reporting core inflation. Really interesting, Frank. Core inflation doesn't include anything we need to survive. It doesn't include the cost of energy. It doesn't include the cost of food. It doesn't include the cost of housing. So what exactly is it when you tell me that inflation is 6 to 7%? And I go get a, a uh, by the way, if you're going to buy your wife a really expensive and nice uh, valentine, your wife or your girlfriend or another, eggs, buy them eggs, 18 eggs, 12 bucks. Uh, you know, don't, you, they got to stop uh, trying to bullshit bullshitters because we know. I think there's some avian flu going on though. I think it's a mix <laughs> of them. I think there is. Uh, there's always something, Frank. There's always something. And we've had the avian flu in the past. We've wiped out, you know, I understand. But it's kind of like they report on energy. Oh, we're saving you on energy. First off, energy's 40% higher than it was when this president took office. And second, oh, gas prices are going down. I wonder why. Is it because my favorite one was the Fourth of July tweet from yes. I think it was two years ago. Where you're they saving pennies. <laughs> what was it? Sixteen cents. You're saving sixteen cents on your barbecue. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. It's there's too much spin going on, Frank. What we know is you go into a grocery store, everything's insanely expensive. Inflation in one district down in Florida, I was told yesterday, is costing the average family about ten thousand bucks more a year. That middle-class family, they don't have 10,000 bucks sitting around. So you ask me what the state of the economy is. Uh, we've got an economy right now where we're at a crossroads. You really got to uh, restore an all of the above energy policy. Uh, you got to get back to energy independence. You got to stop, you know, shaking down Venezuela, the Saudis and everybody else telling them they got to produce more for us. We need to produce it right here at home the way we were three, four years ago. Mm. We have an all of the above energy policy by some uh, accounts. Some economists will tell you that will uh, have a downward pressure uh, on inflation by as much as 40 percent. You start that you have to really go back and rethink the incentives or disincentives, if you will, to work in this country. You know, you got to stop paying people not to go to work. You have to change those incentives. Uh, we, we do some of those things, Frank, and they're, they're not bold. They're just around the edges. 
Uh, you've got an economy that's still here that was booming before the pandemic. You could get that going again. It would take a few months, but you do those things to start with and you could. If you don't, I'm afraid we're in for more of, as you describe it, this stubborn inflation. It's kind of funny, isn't it, when you think back to uh, what kicked off this you know, error of speculation that seeped into not just the crypto market, but also U.S. equities with the meme stocks of AMC and the like. And to an extent, it was that specular fervor that sort of created a breeding ground for what FTX became. But it was tied almost, and you know, that road to 69,000 Bitcoin, an asset which many people think or perceive to be a, an inflation hedge of a sort or a gold-like asset, that run was almost tied to the very, the overextended spending that we saw in the pandemic, which probably just went too far. I think money ended up, you know, we were trying to sort of bridge a gap, but probably went too far in, in giving too much money. And ultimately that created the situation of, of maybe inflation, but certainly, you know, I remember it like it was yesterday. People would get the stimmies and then those stimmies would go right into their Robinhood account or their Coinbase account. <laughs> and it's it's just interesting to see how it's there's this interconnection that exists there. But we probably could have spent half of what we did and ended up a super on based in no math, but my gut ended up probably about the same. I think you're dead on correct. Think about it for a second. That The one thing that I, I don't understand yet was I don't think that Bitcoin, as you uh, referenced it, should have, nor was it, although I, I can't, this is my gut, mm. was it tied to that? And yet it did seem to track the way you say when to me they should have been separate. But even now, even now you see what it's doing. It's almost, uh, in some respects, you could make the same argument of how it's reflective of the uh, the overall market. But uh, you you know what you just said. It's that simple grade school explanation of what causes inflation. It's too many dollars chasing too few goods and services, mm -hmm. right? And literally what our government did, uh, because we went off the gold standard many years ago, and now, you know, it, trust us, we're the government. We can print money and we are going to honor its value because we are the United States of America. They printed cash like uh, never before and they pumped it into the economy. You look at these states, my own at home, a $21 billion surplus. Really? Really? I wonder where that comes from, Frank. And I talked about energy, right? being able to drive inflation, because that's part of the equation. It's more complicated than just one thing, as you've kind of implied. That's accurate. But you look at in energy as in everything we do in life. It's not just what you put in your uh, gas tank to power your yeah. whatever transportation you have. It literally fuels our economy and our quality of life in this country. That's one piece of it. The other piece of it is when your government is overprinting the money supply and you got too many dollars out there, this is the result. Then, then you add on top of all that, the disincentives to getting back into the workplace. Wow. Have you thought about or given any thought to the other coin that's being discussed, the trillion dollar platinum coin <laughs> Bad as idea. an alternative Bad to idea. raising the debt ceiling? Bad idea. I, I don't, I don't, I, gimmicks doesn't work for me. That uh, The debt ceiling debate's kind of a gimmick too. It is. 
without a doubt. But the debt ceiling <laughs> debate is going to give us an opportunity, hopefully, to have a, uh, a good discussion. Uh, as a group, by the way, Republicans, Democrats, the White House have a discussion as a group. How are you going to solve this for the long term? Because uh, a government that's bringing in a dollar, but spending a dollar twenty-nine for every dollar it brings in, it's not sustainable. So let's have a conversation about where we're headed over the next 10, 15, 20 years and how we make sure that this place is still uh, financially uh, viable for the next generation and generations to come. I think that'll be a good discussion. Do you think that we could or would you be in favor of, you mentioned the gold standard, maybe there's some sort of Bitcoin standard well, or where we adopt Bitcoin as legal tender? in addition to the dollar? Well, there's a lot of people who for a long time have been saying we need to peg our currency to something. Uh, once you've got a floating currency, think about it, Frank, and you don't have to agree with me, but I believe the day we went off the gold standard, I'm not saying that that was the answer, and I'm not, I'm not advocating for that today, but I don't know that too many people can argue that when we went off of the gold standard and had a floating currency, we went from creating wealth in this country to creating debt and trading debt. Mm. Uh, that's the difference. Uh, we got to get back to creating wealth uh, because it lifts all boats. Well, sir, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on the show today. Congressman Emmer, thank you very much for joining us. Frank, thank you. Appreciate you. Yeah, this was a pleasure. Once again, we've been joined today by Congressman Tom Emmer, representative of Minnesota's 6th Congressional District in the U.S. House of Representatives where can we learn more about you? Where can we find you on Twitter or maybe catch up or uh, get up to speed on what you're working on? <laughs> you you can go to uh, just type in the name Tom Emmer or Representative Tom Emmer. Or Crypto King, apparently, of Congress, which is what they're calling you now. You have to take on that mantle with pride. <laughs> if you say so. That's what they're, that's what the AKA, the Crypto King of Congress. All I can say to you, Frank, is humility is a great thing, and I've earned all of mine. So <laughs> people can call me whatever they want, but just look up Representative Tom Emmer, uh, Tom Emmer at whatever social media you're looking for, and it's going to pop up. And, you know, contact us. Tell us where we're missing stuff. Tell us where we can help. Uh, you got a great idea? Share it with us. Uh, you never know. That's what we're here for. Let's try to make sure that the government actually is serving you, not you working for it. Yeah. Absolutely. Well said. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks, Frank. The Scoop will be back for you again with another great guest. Have an awesome day.